Hey folks, this is Ben Wickler, and you're listening to The Good Fight. That sound you hear is my three-year-old son, Mac, and my wife, and me, having a nice family coughing fit together. It's a sound I've come to call the Wickler Chorus. We've been sick pretty much nonstop for the last two months, ever since my baby daughter was born, and Mac and I are now both on a daily rotation of asthma inhalers. So I hope you'll forgive my voice today. But here's the thing. We're not the only ones coughing. Twenty-five million Americans have asthma. Thousands of Americans die from it every year. And you know what causes a lot of those asthma attacks? Coal. Coal-fired power plants cause hundreds of thousands of asthma attacks every year, and that's just one of the ways that burning coal hurts people, even putting aside climate change. There's also chronic bronchitis, and there's heart attacks. A study in 2010 found that, overall, coal was responsible for the deaths of more than 13,000 Americans every year. It's a cacophony. A cough-cophony. It's a tragedy. It's an outrage. But today, in 2015, five years after that study, things have begun to change. When we started working with the Sierra Club, more than 13,000 Americans were dying each year from coal pollution. Because we've reduced the amount of coal burned in America, the number of annual coal deaths have fallen by nearly a half. That's former New York mayor and billionaire philanthropist Michael Bloomberg speaking at a press conference this past Wednesday, April 8th. And standing next to him at the podium was someone familiar to Good Fight listeners, Mary Ann Hitt, director of the Sierra Club's Beyond Coal campaign, the winningest environmental campaign in a generation. We're not just here to be in the fight against climate disruption. We are here to win that fight. And why were they having this press conference? To unveil some awesome news. I'm happy to announce a new investment of $30 million in the Beyond Coal campaign. And, wait, we have more. I'm glad to say that more than a dozen additional funders have committed to match that $30 million. $60 million may not sound like a lot of money, but actually... Scratch that. It's a lot of money, especially for grassroots activism. So why is Bloomberg chipping in that giant pile of cash? That is coming up on today's show as Marianne Hitt brings us up to speed on some startlingly hopeful news in the global climate fight. And that's not the only story on this episode about big new money to fight old villains. The news broke today, the day we are releasing this episode, that the State Innovation Exchange, the progressive Alex Slayer, is on track to get millions of dollars in backing from an alliance of progressive donors across the country. We've got the inside scoop from the State Innovation Exchange's director, Nick Rathod, on the fight to stop the right-wing corporate lobbying Hydra and win back the states for the good guys. Strap on your nebulizers, folks, because it's time to end the deadly coughing chorus and breathe in a new dawn for climate and state-based justice with a double dose of return guest Good Fight Heroics coming up after these messages as episode 42 of The Good Fight starts now. Before today's stories, though, a moment of gratitude. Actually, let me say that again. A Good Fight moment of gratitude.
The Good Fight, as you know, is powered by our sponsor and partner, MoveOn.org Political Action, which is urging Senator Elizabeth Warren to run for president and end the corrupting power of special interests from Wall Street to the coal industry, and which notes that this is not authorized by any candidate or candidate's committee. But starting this year, The Good Fight is also powered by someone else. You. You, our listeners and our friends and our family, the beautiful, generous people who backed The Good Fight's campaign on Kickstarter and made this second year of Good Fight episodes possible. You can check out our Kickstarter page at thegoodfight.fm slash KS, by the way, or find out ways to support us still at thegoodfight.fm slash support. 1,044 people back to this project. Every day here at the Good Fight Studios, we are putting rewards in the mail, and hundreds of people have already gotten their Good Fight headphone splitters of justice, their temporary tattoos, and their thank you notes. Hundreds more will soon get their t-shirts, their posters, their ridiculously overpriced socks. Every backer who's given us permission will be listed on the Good Fight's Wall of Heroes page at thegoodfight.fm slash heroes. But there's another group that's about to get recognized right here and now on this episode. The 23 backers who chipped in at least $200 for the Hear Your Name on the Show backer level. These are 23 of my favorite people and organizations on Earth. So we'll be thanking them today in two chunks. So, thank you to Nicole Rallier. To Fabien Cousteau. Fabien Cousteau. Fabien Cousteau. To Ari Weisbard and Rebecca Ennen. To Mike and Kate Gillis. Thanks, Sovereign Silver. Thanks, Moss Kimball. Thanks, Kate in Seattle. Thanks, Adam Rubin. Thanks, Tom Haywood. And thank you, thank you, thank you to Jay from Best of the Left. You can hear the Best of the Left podcast on iTunes. Again, those are backers of the Good Fights Kickstarter campaign at the $200 level. I so appreciate it, and I appreciate everyone who chipped in. Thank you. So last year, we first spoke to Marianne Hitt, who runs the Beyond Coal campaign for the Sierra Club. Climate change can be this overwhelming, massive thing. It's so big, you don't know where to start. But the Sierra Club knew exactly where to start, which is local. And by that, I mean a lot of different localities at once. What Marianne and Beyond Coal do is work with community activists and partners city by city, block by block, to shut down existing coal plants, prevent new ones from being built, and open up renewable power. They use everything from street protests to lawsuits, and it is working. Here's what Marianne told us last spring. We stopped 182 proposed coal-fired power plants all around the country, and we've won the retirement of 165 existing coal plants. Just one of these coal plants can have carbon emissions equivalent to a half a million cars on the road every year. Not only are we winning, but we're winning emissions reductions that actually are getting at the scale of the problem. And then on June 2nd, 2014, came a giant win, the single most significant climate action in the history of the U.S. government. Today, EPA is proposing a clean power plan that will cut carbon pollution from our power sector by using clean energy sources and cutting energy waste. That's the administrator of the Environmental Protection Agency, Gina McCarthy, making the announcement. All told, in 2030, when the states meet their final goals, our proposal will result in 30% less carbon pollution from the power sector across the United States in comparison to 2005 levels. Those goals, the Obama administration's carbon pollution goals, were a giant step forward. And in the long run, that might prove to be the single most significant legacy of the entire Obama administration. 
When my newborn daughter turns 80 in 2095, she will be living in the world that those rules helped create. And there's a pretty good case to be made that those rules wouldn't have been politically possible without Marianne Hitt and the Beyond Coal campaign. But alongside closing all of those coal plants, there's another fight that's about to start, the fight to make Obama's new coal rules actually work. And this is trickier than you might think, because it's not like the Obama administration announced a national rule. Instead, they pulled another Obamacare. They decided to leave each state to set up its own rules for climate change pollution. Here's Gina McCarthy again from the EPA. Each state's goal is tailored to its own circumstances, and states have the flexibility to reach their goal in whatever way works best for them. So how does the Beyond Coal campaign contend with that? We spoke to Marianne again for this episode. I should note that we did the interview before the new Bloomberg grant was public, so you won't hear us talking about that. What you'll hear us talking about is the most significant ripple effect of Beyond Coal's work and the new fight that results from it. Hello. Hello, Ariane. It's Ben. Thank you so much for, for rejoining us. Maybe we could just start with the day when the EPA proposed its rules and how you reacted. Having that day actually arrive was a big relief, and it really felt like a turning point. We had built this movement over a decade, you know, of people working in their states, understanding energy policy, understanding who makes decisions about energy, understanding what the levers were you could pull on to change those decisions. And that's the same place where our national carbon regulations are going to really be written because every state is going to write a state implementation plan. So I just had this feeling that, you know, over a decade, we didn't know we were building the perfect set of people on the perfect movement to jump on this opportunity. But it turns out that that is what we had done. I hadn't even thought about that. Like if you had had a strategy that was all DC all the time and you just had, you know, lobbyists swarming the Hill and ads in the DC publications, and then they'd come out with a set of rules that required states to write their own rules, you would have been caught flat footed. Exactly. And not to say that it's going to be easy or the state plans are going to come out as perfect as we would want them, but we are in a great position to really make the most of this opportunity, I think. Have you talked to any folks in the states who are kind of gearing up the coalitions to wage these fights? Yes, I talk to people every day who are working on this in the states, and uh, it is... It's I I compare it to like wrestling an octopus. <laughs> <laughs> I think with the wrestling an octopus, the key thing is you'd want to have friends, like because there just wouldn't be enough of you to, to you go. go after. Yeah, everyone. one one for each tentacle. <laughs> yeah, and that's why the coalitions that you built are so important. Indeed, indeed. But I think most it's it's still like under the radar for most Americans that we had the most significant environmental step forward, the most significant step forward in the global fight against climate change in human history that that happened last year. It is a very big deal. And then what happened after that was in November, uh, President Obama announced a climate agreement with China, which was a game changer for international progress on climate change. And the bulk of what we put on the table as the United States of America were the carbon reductions from coal plants and the electric sector in the clean power plan. And so it's really not just been a game changer in this country that we finally have some federal climate policy to sink our teeth into and some state policy, but 
we had something to bring to the table that got China to make a big commitment. And so now we're going to go into international climate negotiations in Paris this fall with actual momentum and actual leadership, which is what everybody has been hungry for and desperate for for such a long time. You wrote a blog post um, on Huffington Post where you listed 13 or 14 of your favorite achievements in um, you know, the fight for the climate and, and against pollution from the last year. Is there one particular one that just brings a smile to your face when you think about it? Well, one is uh, in North Omaha, which uh, is one of our coal retirement victories from the past year. And that community was low-income African-American community home to this very polluting coal plant. And they had really high rates of asthma. And people in the community hadn't connected the dots between the high rates of asthma and the coal plant. And so over a couple of years of organizing and outreach and neighbors talking to neighbors, community leaders started attending the meetings of the public power district. It was an actual public entity that was managing the utility and and responsible for this coal plant. And these had, according to our folks on the ground, these were previously had been these very sleepy affairs that were, you know, very perfunctory and they were organized around tea times at the local golf course. And now all of a sudden people were showing up and they were staying for hours and they were telling these very tearful stories of their children not being able to breathe and suffering from asthma. And after a sustained campaign, the utility agreed to not only retire the coal plant, but make these huge new investments in energy efficiency that are a real game changer for the state of Nebraska. To me, that just that story is kind of the epitome of, of what this campaign is all about, which is people in their communities, in their backyards, taking on what seems like an impossible challenge and winning and not only making their lives better and safer and healthier, but moving the needle on climate change. Awesome. What are you looking at this year in 2015? Well, 2015 is going to be a very big year for a couple of reasons. We're going to be doing a lot of offense and a lot of defense, and it's going to be action-packed, and it's going to be exciting, and we are not going backwards. Uh, you know, the coal plants are still not going to, new coal plants are still not going to be built. Uh, the economics are not going to change dramatically uh, in favor of coal. They're going to continue to, to be moving in the direction of clean energy, and so we just have to keep pushing ahead. Thank you so much. This is awesome. Yeah. All right, take care. Bye. That was Marianne Hitt of the Sierra Club's Beyond Coal campaign here on The Good Fight. Get involved at beyondcoal.org. Coming up next, Nick Rathod, who's leading the progressive fight against the shadowy corporate-funded right-wing state-based lobbying Hydra known as ALEC. But first, I'd like to thank a few more of our amazing Kickstarter backers. Thanks, Aaron Brooks. Thanks, Kyle Stoneman. Thanks, Brendan Maloof. Thanks, Jenna Asher. Gene Haig. Thank you, Andrew Boleyn. Thanks, Laurie Johansson. Thanks, Brian Guthrie. Thanks, Amy Tiemann. Thank you, Rick and Patel. Thanks, John Marcus. 
Thanks, Mark Walsh. And thank you to Purpose Campaigns. Check out Purpose Campaigns at Purpose.com. Your support makes this show possible. And anyone who's looking for a way to support The Good Fight can go to thegoodfight.fm slash support. In episode 39 of The Good Fight, our guest Nick Raffod took you inside the history of the shadowy organization known as ALEC, the American Legislative Exchange Council. He used this example to explain what ALEC does. There's an organization called the uh, Corrections Corporation of America. They benefit from the number of people in a correction facility, or their private private prisons. Private prisons. They wanted to build more detention facilities in the state of Arizona, and so they went to the state of Arizona. Arizona said, "We don't need that." So they decided to talk to Alec about what is the way to get more people into the um, correction system. They came up with SB 1070, which is a bill that allows local law enforcement to detain you or search you uh, if you uh, look undocumented. So they're like a dating service for corporations <laughs> and state legislators. State legislators, exactly. That's right. It's like a Match.com. Yeah. For evil. For evil. <laughs> <laughs> Alec has gained notoriety as the way that corporations push horrible laws on everything from voter suppression to protecting polluters in state houses across the country. And for years, despite constant attempts, progressives have not found a way to build an effective counterweight that can push actually good policies at the state level. That's where Nick comes in. He's spent years as the liaison to state governments for the White House, for Elizabeth Warren at the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, and for our friend Michael Bloomberg's gun reform campaign. When we released the first episode with Nick... He was about to launch his new organization, SIX, the State Innovation Exchange. At the time, the group seemed like a huge gamble. But today, April 13th, 2015, as we were finishing this episode, the news broke that the gamble had paid off. As the Washington Post put it in a story this morning, quote, a cadre of wealthy liberal donors aims to pour tens of millions of dollars into rebuilding the left's political might in the states, racing to catch up with a decades-old conservative effort that has reshaped state houses across the country, end quote. And how are they going to rebuild the left's political might in the states? In part, by funding the State Innovation Exchange, which is right at the center of this new focus on state-level fights. This news followed on the heels of another story about the State Innovation Exchange from a few weeks ago with the headline, White House, Elizabeth Warren Team Up to Roll Back GOP State Dominance. Between the money and the allies, it adds up to one thing. The big players in the Democratic Party have finally woken up to the need to fight back in the states, not just in D.C., the long nightmare of Alex's unchallenged dominance might finally be coming to an end. And the guy at the center of it all, Nick Rathod, is back with us today here on The Good Fight. Welcome back to the show, Nick. Uh, thank you, Ben. I remember sitting down with you at a coffee shop when you were just entertaining the idea of you know coming on board to to create and launch this thing. And it seemed like a big risk. It was like you know, an idea that had been uh, attempted unsuccessfully in the past. You know, you had a million options of things that you could do next. And yet it seemed like it had this kind of hold on you. It got you really interested. What's it been like? Uh, it's an incredible feeling, Ben. I mean, it really was a risk. And, you know, if history was any guide 
I probably wouldn't have done it because it's failed. This, you know, we failed at it so many times before. It's been in my blood. I mean, I've been doing state and local work now for over a decade. I, I know it. Um, and I know and I see how important it is. And it's important to the country. It's important to my kids. It's important to your kids. We launched the organization at a conference in December that had uh, over 200 legislators come, which, you know, from all accounts was the largest uh, gathering of progressive state legislators in recent history, uh, which says saying a lot, you know, considering, you know, we just launched and there was no real name uh, recognition or anything like that. And I can tell you the feeling in the room was just incredibly powerful. It was like we were at a revival. People uh, were telling us that they had been kind of waiting years for something like this. And I'll never forget standing up uh, the first evening at a, a, a reception. And I thought I was just going to say a few words. Um, but as soon as I got up, the room erupted and you could barely hear anything. I mean, which says, you know, just how excited, how hungry legislators were for an organization like ours. What hunger do you think you were meeting for these state legislators? Like, why did this matter to them? Well, I think, you know, it, it's, been <laughs> percolating for a while now. I mean, if you look back at the 2010 uh, midterm elections where I think they, you know, the conservatives took over hundreds of legislative seats, conservatives now control more chambers than they have since the 1900s. You know, they fight against equal pay for women. They don't, they want to privatize everything. They want to privatize your water. They want to privatize your schools. They want to privatize literally everything. State legislatures draw and, you know, the vast majority of the country draw these, uh, these congressional districts. And so they draw these lines every 10 years. And if they control the legislatures at that moment, you effectively are giving away the U.S. House of Representatives, uh, because those districts are, are so favorable to conservatives. What has not happened on the progressive side is they just have never had anything that could even uh, come close to matching that or counter that. We uh, talk to legislators in those states. We try to educate them. We give them talking points, the tools they need to be able to help fight back and push back and in the best way that they can. We'll try to connect legislators to one another who are dealing with the same issues in their states to share tactics, opposition research. And that's what we're starting to invest in. That's what we will be doing. So that, Wait, wait. You know, I thought when you get elected, you just waltz in and you're <laughs> yeah, surprising. You surprisingly uh, not. And in fact, you know, a lot of these legislatures are citizen legislatures. So half of them are just, you know, everyday people that want to do right by their community. Uh, but they just, you know, when they're in office, they don't have uh, in many of these places, they don't get uh, a lot of staff support. And, you know, we really need to fill that gap and really you know, help legislators and, and uh, give them the tools they need to be successful so that they they can govern in a, in a very uh, good, smart, progressive way and really serve their constituents in the way that they that they want to. So let's go back to your the launch summit. Yes. Um, you said that it was like a revival in the room. And I actually had the, the privilege of being there. The thing that I remember feeling is a kind of echo of some of the feelings that people had right when moveon.org launched. Mm. What kept happening is that we would hear from progressives who lived in conservative areas who would say that suddenly they didn't feel like they were alone. Right. That is uh, spot on. We heard in particular from from uh, legislators that were at our conference, and then we've been talking with legislators you know, since, since we started building this organization around the country. And 
literally hundreds of times legislators would tell us, not only from red states, but even from blue states, that they felt like they're alone. Word for word, I'm literally on an island. They don't feel connected to one another. They don't feel connected to any kind of national program. They don't feel connected to national leaders. They literally feel like they're on all alone, and then they're fighting these fights in their states by themselves um, without any kind of support. So, you know, in many ways that, that conference um, and this organization is like the cavalry coming in. There's, there's really nothing like going from being like a, a lone voice of conscience in the wilderness to being part of a, a winning movement. Yes. I mean, for, like for sure. Such a thrill. Right. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, the online political magazine Politico ran a story with the headline, White House Elizabeth Warren team up to roll back GOP state dominance. Right. What, what, what was that article about? What happened? You know, because Elizabeth Warren was, um, you know, my boss previously have a relationship with her. We talked to her about this and her team and they were very energized and they got it. They get it. Elizabeth Warren gets that Washington is broken. Same with the White House. You know, the president also understands that, um, in order to really move his agenda, uh, which is focused on the middle class, the, nar- you know, the narrative forward, um, uh, which is focused on the middle class, the states really matter. I brought in uh, about 15 leaders, so majority leaders, minority leaders, speakers, people like that from the progressive side into the White House. We had a great meeting there. When Alec w- had, was just beginning in the late 70s, early 80s, it was also a very kind of fledgling, young, not well-resourced organization. If you take a look at the attendance of their conferences, they were very slim. But then Ronald Reagan, who was you know, a visionary in terms of conservative infrastructure and investment, he really embraced Alec. He brought them into the White House. They did meetings with the president and his staff. Uh, he attended their conferences and stayed close to Alec throughout his presidency. And it was that moment that really launched Alec into the organization it is now. And I'm feeling that there's like a similar moment now because we just did a similar thing with President Obama and his team. I think with in, in life, generally, timing is everything. And it is a moment in time in the history of our country and in the history of the progressive movement where people understand or finally getting uh, that states matter. In this story in Politico about the State Innovation Exchange, they actually called up ALEC. And they got Alex spokesman Bill Meyerling on the line. Um, and he said that the policies that you guys support don't have public backing. And the quote he gave is, voters in November sent a message to Washington that big government policies aren't working. Discussions and furtherance of those same policies are against the will of the people. How do you respond to that? <laughs> uh, yeah, I think it's comical. I, if you take a look, actually, if he wants to reference the election, one of the silver linings in the election was that if you looked in a state like Nebraska, which is deeply red, or Arkansas, they actively voted for minimum wage increases. I care about things like good drinking water. I care that my kids go to good schools. I care that uh, the environment is protected. All of those things, I, it's not just me. It's not just progressives. I think in, in, uh, in places around the country, in my home state of Nebraska, those things all matter to those people, and that's what we're going to be pushing. The last thing that I want to ask you about is something you've mentioned in, in print interviews. The other effect of working at the state level with progressive legislators is that you build a bench uh, of future leaders. 
Yeah. You know, taking a step back, if you take a look at the presidential candidates right now running for office, on the on the conservative side, you know, virtually every single one of them are governors. Jeb Bush, Chris Christie, Governor Jindal, Scott Walker. Uh, and Scott Walker is a great example of this. From the moment he was a county executive, the conservative infrastructure latched onto him. And they have now turned him into a viable presidential candidate. They've given him the tools he needs, the vision he needs to uh, to govern as a conservative, and he can run on that platform. We need to get back to investing in the progressive farm team, giving them the roadmap to show them and, and teach them on how to govern as a progressive so that they can be successful at a state legislative level, at a county level, at a gubernatorial level, and then as a presidential level. And that's really where we're going to be, uh, where our energies are going to be focused. And it's worth noting that the president of the United States, not too long ago, was a state senator in Illinois. That's right. So an- another piece of this is that, you know, as you said, previous efforts just haven't had financial backing. A big part of making six work has to be finding the money to actually keep it going. How is that going? It's going pretty well. You know, it's going to be almost impossible to match Alec because they are, you know, in bed with Coke Industries, with Exxon Mobil. So we'll never be able to match them dollar for dollar. But we do want to leverage people power uh, in a way that they can't to, to, to really balance the playing field. Nick, thanks so much for joining us again today. Yeah, thank you, Ben. That was Nick Rathod of the State Innovation Exchange. You can get involved at stateinnovation.org. So concludes episode 42 of The Good Fight. This episode, along with music credits and links to everything we've talked about, can be found at thegoodfight.fm slash 42. That's the number 42. Huge thanks to our team, associate producer Zach Young, executive producer Susan Davis, production coordinator Hottam Helmy. Thanks to our guests, Marianne Hitt of the Beyond Coal Campaign and Nick Rathout of the State Innovation Exchange. Thanks to our sponsor and partner, moveon.org political action. And thanks to all 1,044 heroes who backed us on Kickstarter. To get the next episode the moment it comes out, hit the subscribe button on iTunes or the podcast platform of your choice. Thanks to We Act Radio 1480 AM in Washington, D.C. for airing us, to Progressive Congress in Washington, D.C. for hosting our studio, to Beth Wickler, my wife, to Mac Wickler, my son, get better, you guys, and to Susie Lynn Wickler, my two-month-old daughter, sleep through the night. You'll love it. Trust me. And thanks to you, our amazing listeners. Email us, show at thegoodfight.fm. We love your email, and if you love the show, post a review on iTunes and spread the word. I'm Ben Wickler, thanking you for being part of The Good Fight. Thank you.